Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We're your bi-weekly Star Trek podcast where uh, we discuss things like Star Trek games, movies, books, comics. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco. And with me as always is Mr. Derek. Say hello, my friend. Hello, hello, and happy Star Wars Day to you, Greg. Yes, for those who, uh, you know, other fellow sci-fi fans out there, we are recording this on May the 4th, which is the wonderful Star Wars May the 4th be with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always laugh at that because tomorrow people are like, oh, it's Revenge of the 5th because of Revenge of the 6th. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you guys are cutting out a day. It's, re- it's the 5th strikes back, and then it's Revenge of the 6th, you see? Right. So we can have three star but every day is star wars day right or star trek day celebrate your fandoms whenever you want that's really what it comes down to but except uh, for except for game of thrones now nobody talks about it (laughs) (laughs) uh there is that meme going around of like just like the four black cells that are like man the battle at the end of season eight was great you know (laughs) oh my god and everybody you know there's always people defending it you just gotta turn your tv up i'm like wait a second I remember posting a meme about (laughs) the Battle of Helm's Deep. I'm like, Helm's Deep was in the night. And there was not a single time where people were watching Helm's Deep going, what the hell's happening here? I also, I I don't think I should have to adjust my TV for one specific show. (laughs) Just personally. I I would agree with that. You know, I mean, I guess we do it for video games, right? You start the video game up and it's like, change your brightness until you can barely see this logo or whatever. I mean, maybe for like a horror game, but if you're playing like Civilization Six, <laughs> that's anyways. Fair. I've, I guess I've been playing a lot of horror games. Well, this isn't our Game of Thrones podcast yet. No. I, um, I, I, there's there's a, a million and a half Game of Thrones podcasts out there. We don't need to add another one. Yeah, well, there's hardly any Star Trek podcasts, so that's why we thought this would be good. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek podcasts, but the thing is, they each have their own flavor. That's true. Which is nice. Yeah. But anyways, we're back. You know, the last episode we recorded got some good feedback from uh, friends and listeners that we know about start talking about starships, uh, specifically for the Federation style or the Federation ships. We got through about half of the stories this week. We are going to kind of kind of focus more on uh, like Enterprise, Picard, and Discovery, the shows that we really didn't get to touch on. As Derek and I were talking before we started recording, there's the new promo out there for Discovery season three. Not a lot of new images, but it's out there. You can watch it, yeah. I mean, you can watch it. It's funny. uh, This is actually like the way we kind of split things up, and this was not on purpose, was like last episode was everything produced in the 20th century. And then this episode is all 21st century. 
Star Trek. That, so, that's a good point. You know, the, that was convenient. The one thing I was laughing at, though, about the Discovery promo is uh, Burnham's hair is super freakishly long right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So apparently, you know, hair doesn't grow that fast. <laughs> you know, a half inch a month. So this, they've been stuck in the future for four years already. I think she has. I don't think they end up coming out at the same spot, you know. I think yeah. that she's been marooned by herself for quite some time. And uh, they're going to have to find each other. You know. Maybe it's the it's that one alternate future that, you know, in the episode parallels where there's like a million different wharfs jumping through the timelines, <laughs> and it's the one where the Federation's gone and Riker's got the crazy beard. You're almost to that Riker beard level right now. Yeah, it's bad, man. Uh, it's definitely long. I haven't really had a good reason to shave it in a while. Um, I was growing it out over the winter uh, for a cosplay. I was doing a vault dweller from fallout uh, group with some friends for a convention that ended up being postponed. And I let it grow from, uh, I shaved on Halloween for a costume. And then, so from November 1st and I didn't shave again until like February. And that was pretty good, but I've, this isn't that bad. But See, anyway. this is not this is not shaving for thirty seven years because Derek and I are on Zoom right now. <laughs> but my hair, my regular hair, grows like not like crazy. So yeah, yeah. Versus I've I'm, I'm, I shave my head now, you know, for for aesthetic reasons, of course. Uh, aesthetic, you know, it's it's almost the Picard. You're the Picard Riker clone. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, okay. So before we dive into the ships, the, the starships, I did want to talk about a poll that we did on our Facebook group. So we have a Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash red shirts and runabouts. And I like doing polls. And I did this one where I asked what people's favorite enterprise bridge is specifically enterprise versions. And, um, you know, there was a bunch of options and you could add your own, of course, cause there's, there's a lot you could, you could add. And what I thought was interesting, more than what won, I found it the most interesting that the original TOS TV show version didn't get any votes. I was kind of surprised by that, given, given the fact that on our fan base, on the Red Shirts and Runabouts forum, we've got generations of fans. Mm-hmm. People that were born in the 50, late 50s became fans in the 60s. So that's the Star Trek they grew up with. And a lot of them were selecting, you know, the, the Enterprise D. And that's what won. Now, to be fair, we put any variation of the Enterprise D bridge. And I did that just because I didn't want to end up in a semantic argument because it changes a couple of times in the show. Then, of course, you have different, you know, alternate futures, right? Like uh, Riker's version in the, the All Good Things alternate future. And then you have the Generations bridge is different than the TV show bridge because they rebuilt it. Uh, for the movie and then you know there there were some changes in between seasons and so like I didn't want to get into that uh, but the D bridge one that was our our number one choice number two was the Enterprise E which uh, that makes sense and then the third choice was my my favorite which is actually the Discovery Enterprise bridge which we get to see a little bit not as much as I would have liked but I found that to be just so strikingly fantastic that when I saw that bridge and I saw how detailed it was and how good it looked and how full it was, um, I, I immediately had that thought of, there's no way we're not going to keep seeing this in some show, right? Like there's going to be this enterprise is going to be a thing. And uh, that's what I voted for. What did you vote for? Mine was the Constitution Refit Bridge. Oh, okay. I Just something about it I loved. I loved how it was that weird 
mixture of early 80s tech trying to pretend what the future is going to look like. So they still have like push buttons, but then they still have tactile buttons that don't need like a physical action. You just tap them. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was always fun. And I love it because that, and it basically every one of those movies, that bridge just gets jacked up, <laughs> whether it's number one or number two or number three, obviously. And then, and then five, it's like a disaster. And then six, every single movie, something horrible happens to that bridge. It's just, it's, what can I say? Well, as, as one of our listeners pointed out in the group, Eric, I'm just going to give a shout out to him for this. Cause I always forget that this is the case, but if at the end of a voyage home, when they first get on the enterprise a, and they're on it very briefly at the tail it's end perfect. of the film and it's gorgeous, right? That's actually a, it's, it, it changes by the time you get to the fifth movie and you have an actual full film on the ship. That bridge is different. And so that was his vote was the Voyage Home version of the Enterprise A bridge. So we're getting into the the (laughs) nitty-gritty. Once we we start going to, it's like the future (laughs) imperfect version, that one episode of the Next Generation Enterprise D bridge. It's like, all right, there's a million and one combos we could do. But they, I mean, most of them got votes. I mean, there were votes for the B and the C, the NX-01, even the Kelvin got some love. So, you know, lots of variety out there from people. I have to admit there's little redeeming value of the Kelvin universe enterprise bridge to me. It, it's the joke is it looks like an iPod. It's the Apple store. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Apple In store. space. It's like, uh, you're scared to touch it. It's like when you go to your, it's like when you go to a relative's house, you can tell if it's a home or a house. Cause a home will have like stuff disheveled cause they don't care. They got three kids. They're fine. But house is like, everything is perfect. Right. Yep. It's like you're scared to, you're scared to sit on anything. That's, that's the, <laughs> The, that is the Kelvin Universe Enterprise. Mm, that's funny. <laughs> but we're here to talk about starships. Yes, yes, starships. And so I'm going I'm to have to rely on you a lot more for Enterprise because I know it's 2020 and I still haven't seen it all the way through. So, I mean, we'll get the big, the big fish out of the way, right? And that's, of course, the NX-01. Um, it's actually the NX-class which uh, is kind of a fun thing to talk about because we had already had NXs prior to this. We uh, obviously not chronologically, but production wise um, because the, um, the Excelsior was an NX and the first defiant is an NX, not mm-hmm. the second defiant. Haha. Uh, so, um, the Sao so, Paulo or something. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we've had NXs before and they were always kind of framed as like prototype vessels. And this is also a prototype vessel, of course, because it's the first Warp 5 ship that Earth has managed to produce, that Starfleet has produced. Um, but it being the NX class, is, is, it's an interesting conversation that I probably need to look more into about whether what that really means, right? Was this the first ship to bear that class? Um, you know, it's, that's what it seems like. Now, we do get to see, um, you know, a lot of this ship. This ship gets shown really really well in incredible detail because it's a lot smaller than the other enterprises right this ship is not even that much bigger than the defiant uh, you know the crew of the of the nx01 enterprise is is basically the maximum capacity of the defiant which is pretty impressive um you know they the show enterprise of course tried to distance itself a bit from star trek in the first season uh not just in name of the show being called just enterprise. Um, but you know, there's, there's lots of differences, right? They uh, can polarize the whole plating, for example. 
um, you know, and they um, they have a grappling hook, which in Star Trek Online is one of the coolest little devices. <laughs> Do you ever use it? I didn't get enough into Star Trek Online, and I just, I really need to go back. Oh man. So, okay. So you could get the NX and it has a grappling hook. And what you could do, what I would do is I would like basically go to like Ram, like a ship. And a lot of the encounters back when I first started were like Klingon encounters. Right. So you're like, you're like, you've got a collision course set and you'd, you'd be firing full front because that's what the NX has is just mainly front weapons. And then you would pass the ship, right? You'd go over it and I'd fire the grapple behind me to hook onto the, the, the Klingon ship and then swoop nice. back around. Uh, it, it was cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at the wiki of the NX class. The, there it is. The polarized hull plating, mm-hmm. which um, that, we were just joking about it in the Kelvin universe on the, on the, on the USS Kelvin when they first encounter the Romulan time board ship, you know, one captain says polarized the view screen. So there we go. There's a nice little, you know, that's the thing about Abrams is he doesn't, he knows how to throw those little things in there. That's for sure. Um, I always love this design. I thought that they actually did a really damn good job with it. And it is a shame that we never got to see the refit of it. That was planned. There was a planned refit that included a secondary hull and I, I urge you right now to Google what that looks like because it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it was a beautiful like proto enterprise design and um, the style of the ship I always thought was really gorgeous. And as I mentioned last episode, Greg, it's kind of like an upside down version of your favorite ship. It is absolutely. <laughs> and there's even an image on the wiki of, of the two of the Columbia and the enterprise doing special maneuvers where the Columbia is upside down. And yeah, it's the Nakira. It is, it is absolutely right? where they, they got that design from the Akira class, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on the NX class? I've been talking a lot. I apologize. Well, I like it because my, the thing I enjoy about it the most is when you're making a prequel show using modern technology, which is what Star Trek Enterprise was. Mm-hmm it would have been very easy for the designers to go overboard and make a ship that still looks like a Starfleet ship and almost make it seem too advanced for what it's supposed to be. This, the design they did still looks like it's Starfleet still getting used to having, you know, warp five. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of their limits is building a, a fleet of warp five ships. And it's kind of focused on things like maneuverability and, and such versus the enterprise D, which is, obviously not a highly maneuverable ship compared to like the defiant. Right. Right. (laughs) That gigantic saucer section. Um, But it's good because I think it's stuck very close to what Star Trek was aiming for with things like the phase cannons. I've always loved phaser cannons or plasma cannons. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little star Warsy, but at the same time, it makes sense for technology. A A single focused beam is not easy, but pulsing is, it's, it's fun and I, I like it and I like that it follows the mythos that we know of Star Trek whereas as Starfleet expanded there was you know the first NX classes and then you had the big Constitution classes so they kept building ships in phases which has always been kind of neat to me because mm-hmm. we kind of lost that if you think about it in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine but old school and we talked about this last week the naval tradition they would build clusters of ships of the exact same design um and that's kind of what the nx was was starfleet's first true i mean you had the daedalus class beforehand and the romulan more or around this time as well 
which I think you even see an image of the Daedalus class, right? In Enterprise. It's the one ship with the gigantic salt, like the gigantic ball saucer. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if you get to actually see one. Maybe it was in the cut season five stuff they were doing because they were going to start getting involved in the Romulan War. I wanted to talk about that ship design because it's it's kind of almost reused in all good things for the Pasteur. Which it really we, is. Which we didn't discuss last time. Um, I always love that design because, you know, there's a sense that a lot of Star Trek's ships are very aerodynamic looking. Maybe not the original Enterprise, but the Enterprise E and the Defiant and Voyager, which of course can land, so that makes sense. Um, but a lot of those ships don't really need to be aerodynamic um and so having something like the daedalus class or the the pastor uh i always thought was a really cool sci-fi concept and i think that's what i like about the nx so much is it's simple but elegant mm. which is kind of hard to, which is hard to pull off you know you could you can go overboard with ship designs like even one of the complaints of star wars is some of the ship designs you're like holy crap you're like how do they why like why would you design something in this manner <laughs> and the nebulon b frigate i love that ship it's a great ship but at the same time you're like who builds a ship with a gigantic front end a gigantic back end and a tiny midsection right you're like that's just that who would design that why <laughs> and the nx looks like a natural construction that would lead to what we end up seeing with the constitution clash and such mm-hmm. now You've talked about this before. We have a lot of dead space between the timeline of Enterprise and the Romulan War and the Discovery timeline, which is before the original series. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have 70 years of Starship design where we have no idea oh, yeah. what they're really doing. We have fan art, but we don't really have anything above and beyond that. My favorite works that kind of help bridge that gap um, are from a fan production called... Uh, Pacific 201 and you can look that up and the, the, the USS Pacific I think it's like NCC I think it's two, yeah NCC 201 um, I love their design work I think it's gorgeous and I think it's a really beautiful bridge between the two because uh, you can start seeing how the designs look very TOS-y from like a whole plating standpoint but they're still not quite as sophisticated or quite as large and they still have a lot of components that look like the NX um, and so I like that a lot, but it is an empty space, right? There's not a lot there. Um, we have a lot of these gaps because we also have that gap between the undiscovered country and the beginning of TNG. Cause all we've really seen in between there is the enterprise B and the enterprise C. <laughs> That's yep. really- and we only see the enterprise C for like 30 minutes, right? That's all we really ever get to see. And I would have liked to know more about that time frame and, and why the ship design went in the direction that it did. Um, now, in Enterprise, we don't get to see much else. There's a lot of very tiny vessels that are protecting Earth that we get to see very, very little limited. We, of course, do get to see three ships in the intro to the show in addition to the NX, um, which includes the Phoenix from First Contact, which, again, we didn't really discuss. Uh, it's not really... I don't know if you... It's a star. It's a spaceship. I don't know if it's a starship. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it does have warp capability, but maybe warp capability to go to the moon and back. Right. Um, but uh, so but there's two other ships in there. It's the OV-165 and the SS Emmett. And um, the OV-165 is a design that I truly love because it's incredibly realistic. It's actually something that NASA has uh, worked on the concept of and the design of. And 
it's believed that that's really the next evolution of the shuttle, the NASA shuttle. Um, it's, you know, wider. It's, it's, it's kind of a more sleek design than the shuttle. It's designed and intended to really only exist in space, to be built in space and go between, you know, stations, that kind of thing. Um, not a warp capable vessel either. So maybe not a starship, but I always loved that that was thrown in there because, you know, the enterprise came out back in Oh one and it goes through the, the time periods and you get to see the international space station get completed, which it wasn't finished at the time. Right. And, um, then they jump ahead to the OV one six five and I was like, Oh man, when do we get that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, cause the next jump is the Phoenix and then it's warp capable. And that's, you know, that's where the sci-fi really comes in. So, yeah, no, it's, and that's the thing is I, they did a good job with, with not going overboard with making designs that look realistic of technology. Uh, like you said, the OV-165 is definitely a modern space shuttle. Hopefully we, hopefully we come back to having space shuttles again. Um, Although side topic, I don't know if everybody out there is familiar. If you're watching, if you're listening to us, you probably like sci-fi and starships and Star Trek and such. Uh, we're sending astronauts into space using American-made spaceship on May 24th. One of the really? SpaceX capsules. It's the first oh, time right. since I think I think they said it's the first time since 2011 yeah, that we're yeah. using an American-designed and built ship launched from America to go back into space. It's exciting. I was very sad when they decommissioned the shuttles. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know we, that we need something new, but I, my hope had always been we would have that something new to replace those relatively quickly, and that, that never happens. Uh, Maybe if NASA just calls them like jet fighter planes, they'll get the funding <laughs> there instead of calling them space shuttles. Right. Just convince them, oh, yeah, this, this can drop bombs. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a $100 billion. Build that. <laughs> <laughs> anyways we're not here to talk about that we're, we're, we're talking star trek we're talking enterprise but you're right there's not a lot of ships in the enterprise even even non-federation ships we don't get a whole lot of variety um but again it's it's like what you've been mentioning for the years we've been doing red shirts it's a shame that they cut enterprise when it was just starting to build up mm -hmm. so who knows what they could have done if they had the full seven seasons now, the, the other ship that we get to see very briefly uh, is, of course, the Enterprise-J, which is a universe-class starship, uh, which I, I've, I get it, right? It's supposed to be the bigger, badder galaxy class, I, I understand, but I always thought that that was a little cheesy. Um, it's massive. That ship is absolutely huge. If you look up like the scale of that thing compared to anything else, it's, it is a, like we talk about how the enterprise D is like a cruise ship in space. This, the enterprise J is like a freaking city, right? It's like New York city flying through space, you know? Yeah, it is <laughs> a, it's a goofy flat gigantic design that, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I never really cared for it. They're trying to make it futuristic, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you have to realize that, you know, the Enterprise C, D, and E were all built within like 40 years of each other. <laughs> so at the rate they're losing Enterprises, the J could be 20 years after the E. <laughs> I mean, we know it's not. They were getting um, optimistic. They were definitely getting optimistic, hey. yeah. So, okay, real quick, this is somewhat tangential, but I noticed something that I hadn't really thought of before. So the Enterprise, right, has all these letters because they keep making more. 
but that's happened to other ships many, many, many times. And it actually happens on Deep Space Nine, but the Defiant never gets an A. Never gets an appendix number or digit. Nope. So I'm wondering if there's a canon reason for that, if there's an actual in-universe reason for why the Enterprise is treated special. Um, I have no idea myself. Right? Because like, the Defiant, yeah, it's the exact. It's basically the same ship that's replaced. But the argument could be made that the the refit Enterprise and the Enterprise A are both Constitution classes. They're not all that different either. So I don't know. It just seems odd to me that no other ship seems to get the letter. Well, it's odd, and it's also, and that's something I've been talking about. Is so much of Star Trek is based on like real naval history, naval lore when it comes to starships is we've had a bunch of enterprises in real life and we don't throw like another digit or number on our letter on there. It's just, hell, I think we're building a new aircraft carrier now they're going to call the Enterprise because we just decommissioned the old Enterprise that was built in the 60s like a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. It's not the Enterprise dash E. It's so, yeah, it's, I think they did it to, for the movies because they had a bigger budget. Let's have some fun. And then it just became this thing over and over and over again. Like, it would make sense to me if you were going to keep more than one in service at the same time, because you would need to differentiate them, right? But there's only ever one Enterprise in service, so the registry number is still only used one time. Um, And it would be really weird if they had two Enterprises flying around at the exact same time. I mean, I I agree with you, but (laughs) maybe they're they're like, well, guys, look, this is the future. So there's time travel and we have to be able to talk about multiple versions of the same ship. So there's there's an alternate timeline out there where the Enterprise C wasn't sent back in time. Exactly. And they helped the Federation win the war with the Klingons. And so now there's two Enterprises. (laughs) The Enterprise C and the Enterprise D. Exactly. Um, Okay, so... That kind of wraps up Enterprise. Uh, we're going to take a short break before we come back to talk about New World Trek, so Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. So we will be right back after these messages. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main think... What's the main planet that Endor, the forest moon of Endor? It's a moon. So it's there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet then? See, th- isn't that confusing? Yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Indoor, or is it the forest moon called Indoor? Kaiju Curry House. Because I'm just wondering, are Pokemon Kaiju? They are pocket monsters. They are pocket monsters, Paul. They're, pocket, they're monsters, yeah, aren't they? They're, they're um, just, so... They are yokai, officially. Yokai. Yeah, so, um. What's like... a yokai? Screen Heroes. If the MCU gets that, then I really think that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because... <laughs> they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover where Air Bud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. <laughs> That's what it comes, it's Air Bud versus Bugs Bunny. That's, That's what it's right. all come down to. One-on-one. Yes, done. All right. And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And Squirrel Girl wins. <laughs> Subscribe today at HeroesPodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So we are back. Um, we've been talking Starship design. Now on to the show, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, of course, there is the Discovery, but before we get there, we have lots of ships that we got to see at the Battle of the Binary Stars, and that all starts on the USS Shenzhou, which is a Walker-class starship, and absolutely one of my favorite starship designs I have ever seen. Greg, what do you think? Yes. No, it was, and I think that even surprised the the, the showrunners. Because the reaction to the Shenzhou and Jojo and everything was so huge that even they admitted they didn't anticipate that much level of interest. And, you know, especially when you compare it to the Discovery, the Discovery is like a neat design, but it almost looks like a gigantic pizza cutter in space. <laughs> Whereas the Shenzhou is, it's elegant, but it's, but it's not over the top. It looks, it, it looks, starfleet through and through whereas discovery kind of doesn't i think that's the key you you look at the shenzhou and it looks like a starfleet vessel right it's got a lot of the components we're used to seeing the colorings the markings it's all very very familiar and um it's different though at the same time it's funny because it's it's similar to the NX class. It's similar to the Akira class, right? And it's structure. You've got your saucer section. You've got your two nacelles down below. There's a bit of a secondary hole on the Shenzhou though, which is pretty cool. Um, and it just, it just looks like it belongs, you know, it never, it never crosses your mind that it's, it's not a Star Trek vessel. Um, and it, it just seems badass. You get to see it kind of enter the atmosphere at one point and, you get to see the interior of it, and Giorgio, I'm sure, is plays a part in that uh, because she was so wonderful and had such an incredible presence as a captain that you buy into the whole thing pretty quickly. Yes, um, you do. <laughs> right? But, I mean, I, I love that design. I think it was super cool, and it's a shame that we get to see so little of it throughout the show. Well, and even your point about the Battle of the Binary Stars, we saw a bunch of neat-looking ships there mm-hmm. that we either never get to see again or are never even referred to again. Um, I mean, yeah, the Shenzhou is there, but you have the Europa, which is like the flagship, mm-hmm. which, is a, which is definitely a very neat-looking design. Um, and you had other ships that were distinct and different from the Shenzhou and the Discovery, but we don't really get to... You know, they don't have they, they don't have their Excelsior yet like they do in, in Star Trek Next Generation. Like the <laughs> no, Excelsior no. class that always shows up. They don't have that yet. In this, not, <laughs> who the, I don't know what the hell they're going to do now. You know, the only ships we really see in Season 2, aside from the Enterprise, is a shit ton of Section 31 ships. Mm-hmm. And some Klingon ships. 
I think the the big the, I think the big problem with the discovery itself is we get to see all these other ships first and they all look like they belong, right? You see mm-hmm. all of these other Starfleet vessels and they all look like Starfleet vessels. What we're used to seeing, what we are familiar with, what we associate with Starfleet. And then the discovery comes in and yes, it's based on the McQuarrie design. And that's a clever way to, to kind of harken back to Star Trek that never was. And I appreciate that level of detail and homework. Um, but it's a weird ship. It's designed strangely. It's incredibly long and stretched out. The whole, it's like, it's strange because it looks more CGI than other ships because of the way it's so kind of metallic and reflective. Does that make well, sense? That, yeah, because that's where it starts getting to the point where it looks like it doesn't belong. And yeah, you build experimental starships. The, the Voyager and the Intrepid class were somewhat experimental. But they oh. sure as hell look like they belong. The Defiant was experimental. The Excelsior was experimental. The NX class was experimental. Um, you know, we we have no shortage of experimental vessels in Star Trek. Um, you know, and I understand like the spinning of the saucer had to do with the uh, the spore drive, and that's fine. That doesn't really bother me. It's kind of like Voyagers and the cells that fold up, whatever. But the nacelles on the discovery are so elongated and the ship just looks so flat in design compared to everything else. It just never really seemed to feel right to me. Yeah. It just, and that's the thing that it's hard to describe is I know there's going to be a couple of our, of our loyal listeners out there going, well, you know, the defiant doesn't look like a traditional star ship. Uh, so why does that get a pass? You're right. It doesn't, but they specifically mention like the first moment you see it on screen when Cisco was basically said, he's like, this was a new class of ships designed for Starfleet. We were going to build our new, it was going to be the flagship of our new battle fleet. And I mean, I don't know that I agree with the premise that the Defiant doesn't look like the rest. It doesn't have nacelles that stand out on its own. But other than that, it does kind of match a lot of Starfleet design. The color schemes, the the bulkheads, the hull plating. It's all very Starfleet. It's basically like a Reliant without nacelles. I mean, if yeah, if you put, I was almost going to say, I was going to almost compare to the Nova. If you put a couple nacelles on it, very similar to the Nova class with the angular design and such. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, the, the Crossfield class of ship, and if I'm trying to remember right, I think Crossfield was, uh, he, he was a real person. I think he was a pilot in history that was competing with Jaeger. To see mm-hmm. who's going to break the who's going to be the first one to break the sound barrier, and it's like Jaeger would break it, then Crossfield would break it, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> uh, so I mean, that's a neat throwback to, to the historical name of a class of ship. Uh, but again, it's and we we see two or we know of two of the Crossfield classes, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. you have the Discovery. Oh, God, what was the other one? It's going to kill me. The Glen. The Glen. Yeah. And I think there were only two. It was really alluded to the idea that they there were only two people that could operate these ships, right? Stamets and the, and the other guy who died. Um, and that was it. And so the, I don't think they made any more of them. I don't think so. And with what happened to the Glen, which did not go well. So <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> one, of the, one of the few Star Trek horror episodes is, uh, is about the Glen. And again, it's it, it compared to 
the other ships we saw at the Battle of the Binary Stars, it, the Discover, the Crossfield is a drastically different design mm -hmm. by far. I mean, there's very few similarities. And like you said, a lot of it's probably driven by the spore drive. Uh, but, you know, it also, like, it also has nacelles, so it's not just about the spore drive. Uh, and again, it's, we don't, Discovery's a little different, and we don't get to talk about a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff about the ships like we do with the other series. You know, Voyager loves having episodes talking about those gel packs. Right. And the Defiant, or the, excuse me, DS9, they're always talking about fixing the shields or fixing the Cardassian sabotage or something. Uh, the Enterprise, they comment, or the Enterprise D, excuse me, they comment over and over again how big it is, how many people it can carry. Discovery, we don't really get a lot of on-screen chatter about ships aside from the spore drive. No, you're right. There isn't a lot of talk about that. We don't get to see much of it much of the other ships uh, that Starfleet even has out at the time. Like we, we know that the constitution class is out there, you know, but we don't really get to see it until the end of, you know, the very tail end of, of season one. Um, and even then they might be a little bit different because when we see a, a, a blueprint of the defiant, the defiant appears different than the enterprise does before we get to the, the constitution classes though, I don't want to overlook a mirror universe ship. Uh, which is the Emperor's ship, Emperor Giorgio's ship, the ISS Sharon. Mm -hmm. um, that thing is just intense. Um, it kind of reminds me of the time ship from the Year of Hell on Voyager. Ooh, yeah, I see what you mean. A little bit. Uh, it's obviously very different, but it just reminds me of that kind of concept. Um, you know, it's massive, incredibly powerful. Um, and it's just a very different kind of design, which, you know, it, it's, it's the mirror universe, right? So things are going to be a little different, you know, the Shenzhou still exists there. So the Walker class was still made and we know that the constitution class is still there, of course, but this thing is like, I mean, it's basically like Star Trek, Star Destroyer, you know? For... It, well, it, it really is. And it's harnessing the power of like a star. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, which is like, I mean, that's pretty amazing in itself because you, you have the episode of TNG relics with Scotty and the whole, um, the Dyson sphere concept. Right. And this is, this obviously is not a Dyson sphere, but it's still a, very impressive to be able to harness that kind of power on a single vessel. Um, and so I just like to bring that one up because it's so drastically different from everything else we see from Starfleet as far as ship design is concerned. I mean, yeah, and even drastically different, it's, you know, we can still touch, we haven't seen any, you know, Romulan ships, but we saw some Klingon ships. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's, some of them I thought were pretty weird designs, uh, but obviously you have the D7, which is the traditional Star Trek Klingon design, which was amazing to see on screen. Well, don't uh, go in too much detail, because we're, we're going to do alien ships at some yeah, point. Yeah, you're... It's, and I won't go into too much detail, but what I will say is, since we are focusing on Federation ships, is the D7 design does not match any of the other Klingon designs either. No. <laughs> so so maybe, I should, maybe I'll give the Crossfield class a little credit where credit's due. But again, and like we were talking about, we don't know what's going to happen in Season 3, if they abandon the Discovery, if they keep it. I'm assuming a 22nd century starship, 23rd century starship, and wherever the hell they are 33rd century is that it uh thir the 31st century 31st century it's okay i mean this is spoiler territory for season two of discovery of course at this point but um 
I mean, there, there's the short treks episode. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it right now. Uh, but it, the ship has to get lost in the future with no crew at some point. Yeah. You know, and I'm just kind of waiting for that to happen. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And look, hey, maybe it'll be great. I'm actually really glad they're in the future because it gives them an opportunity to do whatever the hell they want without us, you know, complaining about canon. And I know canon can be a touchy subject. I know some people live in canon. Some people despise canon. Um, you know, I'm in the camp that canon is important to just be able to have a conversation about what actually happened in that fictional universe. Um, you know, from, I, agree, I agree with you completely. Right. It's, it's the historical account of that universe. And um, to some extent, to some respect what disney did with star wars is kind of cool because you have the legends which is basically like star wars mythology you know um i like that idea the idea that this story is like our greek myths but for star wars right for that that universe and star trek doesn't really have that an argument could be made that all all the novels you know are they're, they're beta canon so maybe that's legends for star trek i don't know um but uh, I know what you mean but yeah. it's but then that's the thing is you and i could have again we could have dozens of episodes on canon but there's a certain level of importance because it binds the story together because mm-hmm. people by nature i mean joseph campbell wrote a whole bunch of books on the hero's journey is this the items that build into canon are, are important to have the stories make sense it's you know uh it's like even on deep space nine and the i don't know whatever it was the first battle of chintaka i think it was when the federation won with their alliance but then like the brains show up Mm. and they've got technology the ships aren't much better than ours but they got a certain technology to knock out like the shields and energy of federation ships and that turns into like an episode or two later they're like yeah this really impacts federation and romulan ships but not klingons and there's a scene where they're like yeah the klingons are deploying their fleets to protect their other allies but they're stretched thin so it's like that one little piece of canon about the brain having a capability impacts the war more than just one battle. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the fun of canon. It's, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the discovery. We don't know what the, the genesis of the design was because they don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, but yeah, it's, even again, everybody has to admit the discovery show, I've talked about this during our, during our reviews, they spare no expense when it comes to design and look so. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I am with you there. Um, so, of course, kind of you know, the elephant in the room as it pertains to Star Trek sh- uh, ships and Discovery uh, is the Enterprise when the Enterprise shows up. Uh, aside from that moment at the end of season one just being really fantastic for me personally, uh, I want to know, Greg, what do you think of the Discovery version of the Enterprise? I, I love it. I love every piece of it to the point where it's not my it's damn close to my favorite design for the Enterprise because the Constitution refit is my absolute absolute favorite um, when we first see it in motion picture Uh, and and, you know my opinion is in the Enterprise D I love it but the saucer section is just gigantic (laughs) and they did such a good job to pay homage without going over the board crazy they didn't add like it's got 18 dual torpedo turrets on it and all this stuff that you know that there was some writer in the room going hey you know what we should do we should get a cutting beams and 
you know there was there had to have been oh, somebody sure. in there saying that oh yeah and how whoever was pushing back was like no we don't want to we don't want to stray too far let's pay let's use what we would have built in the 1980s if we had the technology let's do that now and i think they did a good job mm-hmm. well i'm with you a hundred percent i absolutely love the redesign of this enterprise i was super nervous when i realized we were gonna see it because uh, i didn't think we were gonna see the enterprise i really didn't and then you know at that moment where they're talking where the, the the registry number is coming in i was like oh my god it's gonna be the enterprise and it comes out of the, the clouds right it's just it's gorgeous uh, it's wonderful it's it's absolutely wonderful i love everything about it like you said um there's some just minor changes to it that just make it look so so much more realistic and less of like a toy and look i i totally understand the original enterprise was built out of plastic and cardboard and styrofoam in 1964 originally i understand and i don't mean any disrespect but this is taking it to this next level of realism and yeah even just the minor changes of the nacelles being offset a little bit or the windows in the top part of the saucer section, just give it these little flares of detail that are wonderful. Um, and then, you know, you go inside and it never occurred to me that they were going to really be able to pull off this in a way that was special. And that's the only word that I have for it. It's special. What, th- what that bridge looks like, the, the, the way it looks exactly like the original, only absolutely incredible. Um, and I think the overall fan reaction echoes what you and I are saying is, you know, whatever people want to say, whatever their opinion is on Star Trek Discovery, I think a general consensus is it somewhat underperforms a little compared to what they were hoping. It's not a negative, you know, Star Trek Next Generation seasons one and two underperformed. Um, it takes episodes, it takes TV series a few to hit their strides. But the moment most fans saw the refit or the Enterprise and Discovery with that crew and the chemistry they had with Pike and number one and such, most fans fell in love with it when it was only on screen for a little bit. It's it's a special thing. I mean, look, Trekkies and non-Trekkies know what the original Enterprise looks like, right? Anybody can draw it and everybody knows exactly what it is, you know, and being able to take something that's so beloved from a franchise where we are so critical. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, and be just able, a little bit. <laughs> you know, right. And, and be able to, to put out something that is truly something special um, is, is really amazing. And look, yes, we talked about how important Canon was a minute ago and there are some changes, you know, there are two turbo lifts on this bridge, for example, um, you know, but some of those things I let slide because of the way we have to film today. It's filmed in widescreen. It's filmed in HD. It's filmed, you know, in four or higher K versus a four by three ratio for over the air television in the sixties. Um, sets are larger. Sets are more expensive. Sets are more detailed. You ha- they have to be. I mean, hell, if you talk to the Akutas back when they were bringing up TNG to Blu-ray, there were screens that had gibberish on them that you now had to read. You could actually read when it was brought up to Blu-ray quality. So they had to create <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> text to put on those screens. So people like you and me wouldn't read it and be like, well, that's fucking gibberish. <laughs> right? What is this? A recipe for biscuits? They, well, actually had, 
they had to put real stuff. And so you can't put, you can't put the cardboard bridge on CBS all access and on a new thing and have people take it seriously. If it's anything other than like what deep space nine did with the trouble of tribbles, um, or what, um, uh, trials and tribulations, excuse me, or, uh, what, um, enterprise did with, you know, uh, in a mirror darkly, right. Those are specials, right. Those are homages. Those are, are for fun. You can't do this that way. And especially seeing that we, we really get to see the ship in season two. Right. Oh, and yeah. they have the, the, the BS explanations for why there's no holographic technology on it. And it's all outdated tech. And I thought that was, it was funny. Right. Was what are you going to do? It was a throwaway. Right. What are you going to do? Uh, you got to make it look as close to the original as you can. And I respect yeah. that. I, I do. I respect the, the work that, that went into that. And um, if I'm just going to say that if, if we don't get to see a Pike, Anson Mount, Pike, Rebecca Romaine, Una, and Ethan Peck, Spock show, I think that's a real loss for everybody in the Star Trek community. Because I think the three of them have something special. And I think the designers who built the Enterprise, who built the bridge, who built the uniforms, they all have something special. And I want to see that. And again, obviously, most people who listen to us know I don't. I'm a critic of Enterprise, or excuse me, of Discovery and Picard. You know, I, I've said before many times, you can love something and still criticize it. I think they took a chance with Discovery and they took a chance with Picard, and it did, for better or worse, it had mixed. It wouldn't be a shameful if the next series they make is something safe. If you use a Captain Pike episode or show. You can make it four seasons. You don't have to make it this epic seven, eight, ten season nonsense that they're trying to do with every show nowadays. You could make it small. You could make it short, a very specific story to connect the Pike days to the Kirk days. Um, but again, it's and the thing, my favorite part of, so everybody knows who's listened, this, the season two Discovery finale I was not a fan of with the space shuttle nonsense and fighters and just whatever. The thing I did like about the battle and spoilers is in Derek, Derek, you and I have been talking about this is during the original series and stories and books and such, the constitution class was always highly regarded for its durability and combat. Mm -hmm. And you really get to see that in season two where it's taking on, you know, eight, 10 section 31 ships and it's being damaged, but it's holding its own. Right. And that's something that was always supposed to be the thing of the constitution class was tough durable reliable and we really get to see that yeah i mean it's one of the few times that we get to see it uh we get to see it in the undiscovered country because it basically takes like i think it's three direct hits from a torpedo from a klingon bird of prey um you know but the we don't get to see a lot of that otherwise you know uh, wrath of khan it's not really fair because it's another federation vessel at point blank range that can shoot through the shields um or the shields aren't even up, you know? Um, And so that's not really a fair comparison. And so this was the first time you really get to see the enterprise in a real battle scenario. Um, Not one-on-one, you know, (laughs) because it's usually one-on-one, right? (laughs) It's like you're watching the season two finale and you're like, man, if there was, if there was three constitution classes there, not one, I'm like, man, they might win. Cause the enterprise was, the enterprise was doing good. Right? Where are the rest of those ships? Um, no, I'm with you. And I, we've we've talked about the finale of Discovery. I, I think you and I pretty much agree on it. Um, 
and the enterprise was the shining moment yeah it really was you know discovery's um, just sitting there I mean, <laughs> the, enterprise is, the enterprise is flying around to try to protect it i'm like that that was that was fun uh, so okay so before we wrap up we have to talk about picard is there anything else on discovery that you want to discuss no, but I will say I think Discovery is doing a good job using modern technology to make starships. Just because I don't like the design of the Discover of the Crossfield class doesn't mean I hate it. Yeah, you know yeah. I think I think the O'Birth class is kind of goofy, but I don't. Oh hate yeah, it. the O'Birth class is silly as hell, um, and there are some other very silly uh, kit bashings that occurred back in the model days, you know, on TNG and stuff like that that are very very silly. Um, so by no means am I giving every ship that's ever existed a pass until you get to discovery. I mean, even seeing some of the drawings from the original series where they had like, that we never see on screen, but they wanted to put on screen like Starfleet tugs, where it's basically almost a constitution class ship, but instead of a secondary hall, it's a gigantic, like three kilometer tube yep. with warp nacelles on there. And you're like, that just doesn't make sense for <laughs> dude. Even just the prototype, uh, version of Voyager before Voyager became what it looked like, there was a very different design of Voyager that's pretty ridiculous looking. Um, and clearly, at least in my opinion, they made the right decision, right? So there's been some strange designs. Sometimes they look better than others. The prototype of the Ambassador class, the Enterprise C, I actually like better than the version they ended up using. Um, it's a more subtle difference, but, you know, it, there's, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot that comes to design. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's co- it's cost. Sometimes it's artistic decisions, and so there's a lot of subjectivity in there. So, um, all right. So let's move on to Picard. We don't have a ton to talk about on Picard, as we really only see two Starfleet type vessels. Um, first, we have the La Serana, which is the main ship that we are on throughout the show. That's Rios's ship. It's actually a Kaplan F-17 speed freighter for those playing at home. Um, it's fine. I never really had strong feelings about it one way or the other. I, f- the fact that it's a freighter helps make a little more sense about the interior design of it because it's basically just like a floating rectangle. You know, it's got like two decks and it's all empty space. There's not a whole lot else to it. And I found that a little, I found myself kind of wanting more from that you know um but it's fine i don't know that i have any strong feelings either well no and that's that's my i agree with you is i don't really have strong feelings one way or the other it's it serves its purpose it's it's basically a a transport ship in the show Mm -hmm. it's not really made for combat but it can fight uh the la serena the name it, it always actually gave me feelings from the expanse books and the show because the, one of the ships and that is called the Rosinante, ah, which is a very very similar backing of a name, um, which is you know whatever that's fine. It's Star Trek's always borrowed ideas from other shows and history that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, it fits with his background <laughs> as right. an actor and captain. So it was like, but again, it doesn't really stand out one way or the other. I don't think it's. And it's, 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 like diff- the Inter- it's like the Enterprise B from Generations. It's like, yeah, it's there, but... <laughs> well, even that one, I mean, I, I think, stands out a little bit more because it's a modified Excelsior class, so that catches your attention a bit. Um, it's a little sad because 
and I feel like it's on purpose here, but the ship has always been a character in Star Trek, right? Uh, whichever the show doesn't matter. It's always been a character. Um, and this is the first Star Trek show where I don't think that's the case. And I don't think that was the intention. I, I think the intention of the La Serana was just to get you there. Right. We oh need, yeah. And you know, we yeah, needed a I, lift. I agree. Yep. Needed a lift. This was available and this is who we were able to hire. And, you know, from a story perspective, I think that's fine. I think we've just gotten comfortable with and, and gotten used to the idea of it being more significant. And I think that just catches people like me off guard. Yeah, I, I see what you're mean, what you're saying because the names of the major ships we've used have all been pretty iconic. They were almost iconic before Star Trek even existed. The Enterprise, right? There's always been an Enterprise in U.S. naval history. Uh, you know, things like the Intrepid class starship, the Voyager. We had the Voyager space probes. Mm-hmm. The Defiant. The Defiant was one of our early frigates in naval history. So we've always relied on ship names that are very popular, very, very easy to learn, very easy to say. The Discovery, we had a space shuttle called the Discovery. Uh, the La Serena was the first one to really be truly unique and such on its own. Yeah, that's fair. So that, of course, brings us to the final ship, which is the Zhang, Zhang Ho, is how Riker pronounces it anyway. Um, so I apologize if, if it should be something else. Um, Riker's ship that he gets to, to, to have when he comes out of retire, retirement. It is an inquiry class vessel is the official class type of the ship. Um, we don't get a great look at the ship. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Now, some of the creators have said that there's multiple designs in here. And frankly, I have a hard time picking them out myself, but that's neither here nor there. This ship is a very safe design. It is incredibly similar to what you see in Star Trek online, as far as like the Odyssey class, which is the enterprise F um, and, and some others like the um, uh, Esri's ship, Esri Dax's ship in the books, the Avantine. um, It's all very similar. It's, a very elongated saucer section that's merged with an elongated secondary hull with two beefy uh, nacelles that are reminiscent of the enterprise E, but stockier. And you know, that's, that's the ship. Um, The bridge is a redress of the discovery bridge, obviously for budgeting and simplicity purposes. And that's all we really get to know. Um, Am I forgetting anything? Am I leaving anything out? No, I mean the meme they call it the copy paste class, um, because that's exactly what they did in the last battle. Like you said, I people keep saying there's multiple designs in there. I'm like, maybe if I had a 120 frame per second capability and I could slow it down and inspect every single frame, maybe. But I know that there's at least two, uh, because I've been looking through images as I prepped for this, and there's a nice shot. Um, that 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 they have online and there are two but you can't really see all of one of them and so it's hard to see all the differences but then the cells are definitely different um and so that that's that's something but i don't know what that ship is we don't get a name or, or a registry or anything so i can't speak much to it well um, and of course you know we're, we're not we know we're not talking about the card but a little bit you know the breaker pulls the very famous bluff i'm i'm the captain of the most powerful ship in starfleet 
And the Romulan's like, oh, you're right. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Romulans have never heard of a bluff before. But whatever, it works. But it's, it is interesting. And I know people have talked about the fact that the fleet, I don't even know how many ships were in the fleet. Um, I mean, there were 206 or four or something Romulan ships. And there were more Federation ships. I forget the exact number, but... And I know people were defending... Because that's something new for Star Trek, is building a lot of one single class of ships. At least in the Star Trek lore, we know. Even in the Dominion War, you know, you think they would build nothing but, like, Akira class and Defiant class and Steamrunner class, but they're still building Galaxy class. They're still building all this other stuff. Is it's a little new for Starfleet? It's obviously, like you said, probably for budgetary purposes. They're not going to spend $2 million animating... 30 different designs of starships for a five minute scene. Right. If the show is not, because the show is not necessarily about Starfleet as a whole. Right. It's more character based, character driven, which makes sense. And Deep Space Nine, you need lots of ships because they're at war. <laughs> There's fighting on 20 different fronts at the same time. Mm-hmm. With Picard, you don't necessarily need that. So, yeah, I'll nitpick and I'll poke at it. But even I could sit back and go, well, it's not about Starfleet. It's not about the ships. Right. And, and it's not. And the truth is, you know, part of the story is that the Federation hasn't done much. They've just been sitting back and building and building and building. And so if there's three or four designs in here and they just built a hundred of each of them, you know, uh, that was all maybe they felt they needed. Here's one warship. Here's one science ship. Here's one di- diplomatic vessel. And here's one medical ship or something. I don't know. Um, right. And that's all you need. And that's what they felt. I don't you know. Or maybe as starship design becomes more sophisticated, the need for different kinds of vessels diminishes because you can do it all on one ship. Right. It's, it's, it's funny. Cause uh, the, 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 the real U S Navy introduced a ship a couple of years ago called the littoral combat ship, the LCS. And they were going to build like 60 of them, mm-hmm. but they kept scaling it back. Cause the first four they built were like terrible. <laughs> like it was a good design on paper, but then when they actually put it out to sea, they're like, man, this ship can't handle, it can't fight. <laughs> <laughs> and we're awesome. stuck with it and awesome. so they're building they're building like 20 new frigates and they just signed a contract today based off an italian design and everybody's like well why why'd you pick that and they're like we wanted to find a design that we knew worked right right <laughs> and and that's maybe exactly what they did in picard is they had a design that works for what they need and they're not at war maybe they haven't been at war uh, maybe the ships are a little a mix of every, like good at combat, good at exploration, good at science, not great at anything. Right. Which would make sense if Starfleet's a little bit more inward, mm-hmm. build a few ships or less ships that are good versus a lot of ships that have very, very specific design, you know? Exactly. Because it's true. Like when you ended up with an O-Birth class ship, what, what are they going to do? You know, it, it's a tiny vessel with 30 crew and hardly any weapon capabilities. You know, and, oh, it's a good, it's a good science vessel. Well, you know, it was a good science vessel. The galaxy class was a good science yeah, vessel. That was a great science vessel. And it could kick your ass. So <laughs> it's like Voyager is a good example. Voyager was a great design. I love the ship, mm. but you're not going to put the intrepid class on the front lines against the dominion. Not on purpose. Well, yeah, unless you absolutely have to. Right. Uh, and so maybe they just started realizing that we'll just build them all the same, you know, or similar enough, you know? Well, now, you know, like we could go down a different episode where it's like, well, 24th century, almost in the 25th century, you have matter, antimatter replicators. So material is not really a problem. Yep. So you could build as much of whatever as you want, technically. So yeah, they found a design that works and 
they have 3d printers printing printing starships <laughs> really big ones really big uh, ones but I think that's it. I think that's it for the Starfleet vessels. Um, we covered all of the, the canon stuff anyway. We didn't really talk um, much of the books or Star Trek Online. We referenced a couple of things here and there, but really just focused on what is a you know canon, so to speak, uh, Starfleet ship design. Um, we definitely want to talk about more what we want to talk about the Klingons and the Romulans and the Andorians and you, know, you name it. We want to focus on these other species as well and give them time. We didn't want to just rush over them all. Um, so I'm sure we'll be doing that. Greg, is there anything else you want to add to our Starfleet starship design conversation? Just that of all the sci-fi I know and love, and I love a lot of it, Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, et cetera, et cetera. Sequest DSV. Hell yeah. Star Trek. We'll do we'll do a special Sequest episode one day about Star Trek <laughs> on on this episode on Red Shirts and Runabouts. Star Trek the ships. It's the for me it's the only series where I became attached to ships. Hmm. I think the Millennium Falcon, whatever. I know a lot of people love the Millennium Falcon. I just whatever. It's the Millennium Falcon. Um, I got more attached like the X Wing than I did the Millennium Falcon. But even in general. Uh, Star Trek ships I fell in love with. And that's something that I, I was, when I was six years old to now, I still love the ships of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm with you. I mean, I still have so many of my toys growing up and most of them are ships. I mean, I had more ships than action figures when it came to Star Trek and I have a good number of, of action figures. I love the ship designs and I love the style and I love the characters that they were on those shows. Um, I hope that we get to see more, you know, I hope that, you know, with the animated stuff coming out, I hope they have some fun with the, the ship designs and do some quirky things that they can do in an animated world and have it still be okay. Um, but we'll be back of course, talking more and more about ships and star Trek um, hoping for some news in the near future, you know, about when we might get to see season three of Discovery, because I definitely am curious to see what's going on in the 30th and the 31st century. Um, but I guess that's going to be it for us this week, Greg. I think so, my friend. And if uh, anybody wants to reach out to you directly and talk to you, how can they do that? Well, I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter. Of course, you can also find me on other shows here on the heroes podcast network. I host uh, screen heroes and I've brought back starting uh, next week, gamer heroes, which is the video game podcast. Uh, it's alternating with red shirts right now. We're doing every other week. And so they're alternating with each other. Uh, so please check that out. If you, uh, if you're into games, but uh, that's me. And if anybody's interested in, reminding me how much I hate Star Trek, which is like the only messages I get sometimes <laughs> <laughs> is the underscore bitter steel on Twitter. It's not, it's not everybody. It's like you get 10 good messages then you get one hateful one. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> just, that's the, the, the life of a podcaster. It is. Um, it definitely most, is. Most, I think most people like you send, get my sense of humor when it comes to, you gotta, you gotta be able to poke what you love. I mean, come on. Absolutely. It's, but we, but we love it. We wouldn't we talk about it. it if we didn't love it. Right. Yeah, we, like you, you've been saying for as long as I've known you, if we didn't, you know, the canon argument, if we didn't give a shit about Star Trek, we wouldn't care about canon. Right. It wouldn't matter. I mean, like meme history, Napoleon wasn't five foot three. Napoleon was average height. It was British. It was British propaganda that said Napoleon was short. <laughs> <laughs> 
Facts matter, Derek. Facts do matter. Facts matter. Let's uh, trust data, not lore. I love that sign. Yeah, that, trust that, data, that, not I mean, lore. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we are, of course, the Red Shirts and Runabouts podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter. You can join our Facebook group. Please join our Facebook group. Facebook.com slash groups slash Red Shirts and Runabouts. Uh, our show is all over the podcast places. You can find us at heroespodcast.com and more. Please do that. Otherwise, Greg, I'll catch you in a couple of weeks. I'll talk to you then, buddy. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> Always. <laughs>